Well, so there are these underwear. They had a Yankee swap. And uh, someone brought underwear that were delivered to the wrong person and had pictures of someone's girl all over them. So they were like, it was just like some random girl all over the underwear. Like, that was the pattern, you know? But they were a little too small. Oh, they were <laughs> super fucking small. Cheers, brother. Cheers. And, um, so yeah, they did the Yankee swap. And uh, they had this, the thing came with hot sauce. You know how, like, Yankee swap works, right? All kinds of different stuff. Yeah, so, like, someone picks something, you can, like, yeah, yeah, take yeah, it from them. So this hot sauce was part of the underwear pack. And I was like, oh, I want that fucking hot sauce. You know, brought the underwear home, put that shit on. Oh, hell no. That shit is literally for, like, a nine-year-old. Over here to Golden Hour, y'all know the deal. Fucking one to a kind guest and all that shit. We got a uh, Rhett man in the spot, my dude. Here we go, Rhett man. Welcome. Here I am. Here I am. Here I am. Yo, Rhett man, you're the fucking man. You're the first person to ever hook me up with like anything skate related. You and Ice Man. It's good to hear. Especially because the skate shop was just a little side project. It wasn't anything that was ever really meant to be too too. Major. Yeah, yeah, but Flex was like, so for y'all at home, Ratman was, so why don't you break down kind of like Flex? Well, Flex was something that me and the great Iceman started because we wanted records for ourselves that we couldn't get, frankly. So that mainly being the Jamaican imports. So Iceman had talked about starting a shop, and I was currently working at a mail order house, seventh generation. And uh, I basically flashed the idea to him. I was like, yo, I've noticed the uh, the quickest way to get something like this going is with an 800 number. Let's do it. Let's set up an 800 number, put our ads in the reggae magazines, and I guarantee you people will at least call and see what's going on. You mean to sell it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah mail order, you know? Yeah. So we put in put the 800 number in, and the rest was history as far as that. So this is before you had a brick and mortar? This is, yeah, it was about a year until, and then we had been looking for a cool spot, and the spot that turned out to be the coolest one became available. Yeah, yeah, so, above RJ's there, yeah. Now, yeah. so what year did Flex start? Uh, the store opened in 94, and the uh, aforementioned mail order stuff started a year before. So. Damn, aforementioned, bro. It's like three on a Sunday. You're talking a <laughs> big one. Yeah. All right, I'll take you back down to X-Rat original style. My G. So yeah, obviously like when I started coming around, Flex was like around 97, you know? I loved it, man. You guys were awesome. Yeah, we'd be fucking doing dirt <laughs> over in City Hall and come through and and uh, so you sold like Think and Maple skateboards and like some t-shirts but yeah like you said that was just like a little corner kind of like here and then the actual jam was you sold a shitload of dance on reggae records yeah so as far as that, mentioning Think and Maple it's because we we had to go direct because B-Side already had the contracts with like a lot of these companies yeah you're not allowed to sell within a certain mile radius so we were going after the smaller companies so you were hitting but, uh, street corner directly uh, well, a lot of, those companies like to do direct business too, as opposed to just doing the what the one stops are, yeah. the distributors. So like Alien Workshop was all into it, 
and uh, Deluxe was the distribution for Think as well okay. as because Street Corner later bought it, but yeah. So yeah, who else was like all involved with Flex? Because I know like obviously Iceman when he had the crazy dreads would always be up there, and like Demas would always be kicking it. But who was like officially like the partners? Just myself and Iceman. Okay, yeah. but the DJ team is what ended up getting all the attention. Yeah, yeah. And and I was one of the DJs too. Yeah. But as you said, Demas, the man, John Demas, John Damaris, and then Chris Patterson, DJ Patty, who was uh, to this day, that's the one kid I ever met that could DJ any kind of music very well. Yeah. Whereas most of those other guys and myself too were specialized with what we did. But then Eric Fitzgerald, a.k.a. Niceness. Oh, uh, yeah. Legend. So that was the local crew for Flex, and then we had a couple imports eventually come in. Yeah, like Smiley and shit, right? Or whatever. Uh, he was never really like a DJ on the Flex team to be... Uh, were there two, there are two Smileys, right? Because I worked for fucking Steve Gross. He was an asshole. He was the chef up at Edson Hill Manor, and he was Smiley, but wasn't there another Smiley too? Well, there's... Uh, yeah, there's the smiley that's still around that you see every A Dog Day, etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, he was actually he was really good BMX rider, and uh, he's still a good snowboarder. Yeah, yeah. He, him and Niceness go snowboarding yeah. still. So he's yeah, that's that's the cool smiley. Because whenever I hear people talking about a smiley, I'm like, which one? <laughs> yeah, I don't have too much nice to say about that other cat. Whereas we all thought he was our friend, but one by one, he yeah, well, he did us all dirty. People end up <laughs> sorting themselves out, right? Yeah, he had he had uh, <sighs> substance issues. I guess you'd have to say. Yeah, well, that's a fucking cop out. I mean, a lot of people do. It doesn't mean you have to be a scum. Anyway, with that, with but, that so being that, said, that was the uh, the main DJ crew from Burlington for Flex. So it was those guys. Yeah. So this could honestly be a Vermont Entrepreneurs episode because you're you know we'll we'll talk about all the other stuff that you get into. But um, in terms of like how the record business went. A lot of it was, like, sales, not just people coming into the store, right? Like, you had a shitload. Would the, you say that was the main part of the business? or? Yeah, well, the, our specialty were the 7-inch uh, reggae 45s. There hadn't been anyone that distributed them the way that we did. Most stores that sold them, what they would do is get a batch and try to sell out everything and then try to get the new releases the next week and just forget about the old stuff unless it was a big hit. But Iceman and myself were like, man, we need to respect these titles more, inventory them, stock up on ones that we know we can still sell for years, basically. Okay. And it wasn't long before people figured out, like, Flex Records had this incredible selection of these singles yeah. that were only $2.75 each. Uh our competition out of New York was doing the same stuff on 12-inch that you had to pay five, six bucks a whack for. Mm -hmm. So right off the bat, we were helping people out. But you had no competition uh, locally at the time, right? You guys were the only ones selling regular No, we didn't. Off. I always like to tell people that there were times when Pure Pop didn't have one piece of vinyl left. You know what I mean? And... Uh, it was funny when vinyl came back pure pop was like vinyl's back and pure pop's got it 
<laughs> we were all just like, dude, what are you talking about? Yeah, but they man? didn't have the gems. They didn't have the shit you had. Maybe for like some no, no, no. They would have, stuff. as you know, you know, we had just as big of a hip hop section. Yeah. So they would have some of the hip hop records we had, but they never really, they couldn't hold a candle to what we did. Yeah, basically. yeah. So what's the process like when you're trying to like get the records? Though? Like how, are, like who are you reaching out to at that time? Because just this about is obviously before internet. All those records came right from Jamaica. Iceman was the. He, he Iceman, the Iceman would get on the phone and deal with the Jamaicans. He was better at that. Hell yeah. Definitely. He had the dreads, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they never really see you. Yeah. Like you said, this is back before all that. So you're just a voice on the phone. We would get faxes. Okay. Then you write the numbers by the title and fax it back. <laughs> so were you waiting till people placed the order, or was it... You weren't. You were stocking up on the inventory and then selling it, right? It wasn't kind of like a. Yeah, the new releases would come out every week from Jamaica. Sometimes you'd get a sheet with twenty. Sometimes yeah. you'd get two big sheets with a hundred new releases. Oh. Then it would be that'd be great, you know. Yo. And then of course, oh, the most fun about it now that you got me talking about that part of it is when we would get these boxes from FedEx and Demas and Patty and Nisus would leave whatever they were doing and come down. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. one by one. Form like Voltron type shit, right? One by one, you pull the boxes out of these big Jamaican crates, and they're playing the new tunes. You know what I mean? And yeah, I definitely remember that, but you don't always even know what you were getting, right? Wasn't there... That, there was no way to hear this stuff till it came. Yeah, so they just kind of sending you, like, whatever's popping out of Jamaica. Now, obviously, here and there, you'd hear about a big tune that was going to be coming out, and then you'd see it on the sheet, and you'd yeah. pretty much already know it was going to be fire. A rhythm. <laughs> yeah, right? a rhythm. A rhythm. Yeah, so you get like seven, eight, seven inches all on the same exact rhythm track. Yeah. Which I don't know. Maybe some people that are going to check this podcast don't know how that works with the, the dance hall reggae yeah, stuff. Le- yeah, learn them on it. Yeah, learn them on it. Yeah, so, you know, that was the thing is uh, when there was a popular rhythm track out, the producer would have all his best guys, all his most talented dudes ride on that rhythm. And then if there was hits on that, then other people, other artists in Jamaica would want to be on those particular rhythms. Yeah. So sometimes it would be on the same label. And then yeah, some- I thought it was a rhythm. It sure is. <laughs> R-I-D-D-I-M. <laughs> and then, you know, another producer would make his version of the same rhythm. So you could mix those in, too. Yeah, yeah. So it's, like, almost as if, like, fucking Dr. Dre made a beat and then, like, a bunch of MCs made a song over that beat, which doesn't happen, really, in hip-hop. You get remixes, but in reggae, that's a thing. A rhythm comes out, and then a bunch of people release their own version, right, on that rhythm? You're right. And uh, one of the only things that you see here and there in the industry is uh like for example mariah carey and old dirty bastard when they had their hit on the tom tom clubs rhythm yeah so like five years ago or maybe two three years ago so a female had a big pop hit on that same rhythm yeah i can't remember who it is but i know exactly the song you're talking about and when i heard that i was sitting at reuben james one day and i heard one of the waitresses play that a couple years ago and i was like oh this is what it's all about now they're rhythm up now rhythm up so like so do you feel like that's kind of fucking weird, though? Because it's like, who are these new school heads just, like, jumping on it? I guess if you're dope, that's cool. But, like, you know, isn't it also kind of like, you better come correct if you're jumping on, like, some of that, you know? It's like, I couldn't imagine, like, well, you recording and releasing, like, a song over, like, KRS-One, you know, whatever. MC's act like they don't know. Like, and it's like, oh, here's the fucking Trav Card song over that. Like, sure, I guess if I'm absolutely torching it and I got the props, but like, isn't that kind of buster? 
I don't know how to look at it that way since it was just inherently part of the whole Jamaican scene. Uh, I actually think KRS-One would have been into something like that and being part of it too, you know what I mean? I, I, I meant, I meant <laughs> Out of all of them, he would be the one that would be like, yeah, man. He actually is a super fucking nice guy, and I'm not going to talk like, uh, you know, we're super tight, but I've had an encounter with him when we played with him at uh, the old higher ground. And uh, I was on cloud nine, like, oh, but if KRS, you know? And I go out back after my set and go, hey, what'd you think? What's up? He's like, oh, man, I was at RUV. Like, I didn't catch it, you know? Like, my ego was just crushed. Well, since you mentioned that, that connects. Um, we were talking about the dance hall reggae squad at Flex. We also had our, our guy, Cousin Dave. Yeah, yeah. And he didn't represent on the reggae, but he was an awesome DJ. He could, you know, he did hip hop sets and stuff, but he was really drum and bass and that type of shit. Or what? yeah, he was the best drum and bass DJ Burlington ever had, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but you know, he can spin to this day. He's a master DJ of house, old hip hop, yeah. um, R and B. Well, like true DJs from back in the day and shit, you got to know where the vibe is at the party. Like, you can't only be able to play the one thing, you know? You got to kind of read the room, right? So the best DJs are able to do that. Oh, yeah. And that's it's probably not as hard to do that with when you're doing house music and stuff. But uh, what reminded me of that is because... everyone's it, all fucked up and shit? Yeah. <laughs> it's not as much based on playing a banger. Oh, okay. But uh, Cousin Dave was lucky enough to be in the area when KRS-One and his crew did a show at Middlebury College. Yeah, that was a little bit after the... It was a long show. time ago. Yeah, that was like, oh, three, maybe. And uh, this is one of those deals where, uh, like, the student body was responsible for having that show. Yeah. And this wasn't a show where, like, anyone from Burlington heard about it or anything. And uh, Cousin Dave and his crew got to, to lamp and talk with KRS-One and... And, you know, so he met, like, a pretty... Okay, so Scott LaRock yeah, was yeah. still alive yeah. then and was at that gig. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, not to keep fucking talking about me, but this is my show, so you got to listen if you... Uh, so, like, when I met KRS, I was like, hey, what's up, man? I'm Travis. He goes, yeah, I'm Chris. I go, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, like, what? like, yeah, totally. I ended up, he ended up inviting me on stage to fucking knock a free with him, and I was shook. Non-stop boogie down, popping and locking. Right, right, right. <laughs> if you don't know me by now, I doubt you'll ever know me. Boom, bap, original. Right. Yo, shout out, motherfucking KRS-1. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, I just, once again, gotta just thank you guys for uh, just believing in me or just whatever just wanting to make me feel special or whatever the fuck it was you know? well just so you know that wasn't like you guys were young you guys were younger man it wasn't like every kid that came through got that same treatment. yeah yeah well i well, could I tell there was something special about you guys word. for sure well whether or not this is a fact i always uh chalk it up as if it is that justin sullivan and i were the flex team we were the skateboard team because we would run through and like, you know, I might have fucking manufactured that or whatever. But well, like, I know that I'd come through and you'd be like, yo, you better go get down on this. Like, you know what I mean? I've heard you word it differently when you've introduced me to certain people. You're like, this is my first sponsor. Yeah, exactly. And that's the way I like to look yeah, at yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Definitely. A thousand percent. Because I remember I'd like buy a board here and there and then like, you know, every couple boards you'd be like, I'll just go grab one or if I fucking broke my board or cops took because remember cops would take our boards all the time and I'd yeah, come in yeah. there whining you'd be like yo 
I got you, chill, go skate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that love was tight. I love it. And, uh, but I actually have fond memories of when you're talking about, like, the, the boxes and you guys all just, like, hype standing around, just, like, pulling one out and whoever happened to be on the table. Because there was actually two sets at least of tables, right? Up on that thing right there? Nah, there was just the one set. What's but uh, I will tell you this is uh, when we were doing the techno stuff and the house stuff, the same thing would happen with a different crew. So yeah. like Cousin Dave and his cousin Justin B, yeah. JB, awesome DJ. Again, he he was never an actual flex DJ, but and he could have been if he had ever asked. Yeah, he's squad though. He's an incredible disc jockey right there, yeah. Justin Boyce. Him and his cousin, Cousin Dave, are two of the best you could ever, ever listen to. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, I kind of came in sort of in the middle of when, like, that error right was was popping there um, funny though i never had that happen once with with no hip-hop box <laughs> it wasn't the same you know like the vibe you mean yeah like, there was uh, never anyone like what is the box of hip-hop records coming that was just they, the reggae that's they weren't rid of <laughs> they were beat uh, true the uh the house and techno dudes would order off the sheets so they'd be partially waiting for their special orders too so. okay yeah and obviously, you guys are making a couple bucks. I was a pretty there. mean junglist DJ myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, it was Cousin Dave that got me into it. So when I spun jungle, I was the son of David. That says to it. To Cousin Dave. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. So let's just go back a sec. I don't however much you feel like divulging, but like, where did you come up? Like, at what point did, were you in Burley? Like, well, being from Colchester, there's not a lot to do out there. You can ask Jay Rapine, you can ask anyone. The first thing you do is start coming into Burlington. Yeah. You, you bike in, you know what I mean? And yeah. then once one of your the first one of your buddies gets a license, you're driving in after school basically every day. Yeah. Coming so in. I will tell you that uh coming into Burlington for me that started on bicycle when I was like really young, like twelve, thirteen. But then by the time it was fifteen, it was hitting the record stores. And then by the time we had the first cars, it was throwing all the skateboards in the trunk and coming in and hitting the record stores. Yeah. And then by 16, 17, it was the skateboards, the record stores, and maybe try to find a little herb. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so since you asked, that's how it starts. And yeah, I'm yeah. sure it's still like that to this day because I don't think there's any much more going on out in Colchester than there was except for there's the lake one, there's one park one skate park now but it's fucking hot it's like right in the beating sun so there's like no shade or anything but uh, I mean it's whatever yeah I shouldn't have spoke so quick about that although the <laughs> only times I've been out to that park a couple times it was like dudes on razors and stuff you know yeah well, little yeah. scooter kids you know whatever makes you happy I'm sure there's a couple rippers out there though on razors no, no, skiers. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, whenever the only couple times I actually went out there, it was definitely scooter action. Yeah, yeah, the buddy. Uh, <laughs> it felt like Colchester still. <laughs> the buddy Joey Handy, he's like he, he's on the show, but uh, he was uh, he frequents that park. Right on. But I mean, all the real motherfuckers are at the woo. Let's keep it a hundred. You know what I mean? It's like sure, hit a dog, but it's usually fucking crowded. But like. You know, the OGs be kicking it at the woo. That's for damn sure. Yo, I got a question for you, man. Who do you think coined that term, the woo, for that park? Oh, a thousand percent me. 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's not even a question about it. I, I don't think. Because <laughs> I've heard, uh, I've heard my main man Stevie Hart say that he might have been the first one to bust that. Yo, Stevie, I love you, but everything I ever told him six years later, he has these ideas as if he was the one who made it up. Whoa, whoa, no, 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 no. I'm not calling him out. Yo, that's that's my son's godfather. I love. That's my brother. I will take a bullet for him. All I'm saying is. The genital vicinity, we whatever. That was me, brother. Don't front. Don't front. Uh, but here's the other thing. It's like uh, sometimes maybe two people came up with something, uh, you know, separate from each other or like, you know, who knows. Maybe you thought of it, but then someone else said it, but you made it up to you type shit. Of course, man. You know? Yo, it's funny you say that because I'm about to launch this thing. I'm going to do this thing. On, I'm not even on TikTok, but I'm going to go on there to share all my hacks because I got a bunch of hacks. Yeah, like if you're at a girl's house, you shit in like flush before you wipe because then you're not going to clog it. That okay, so mine are going to be more like clean, clean stuff that the whole family can deal with. What do you so, mean? Everybody poops. You know, stuff that has to do with like how you keep your soap on the dish and stuff. But I got a bunch of hacks that are coming. Uh, and that's what I was going to say is I have to check each one and make sure someone didn't already bust it out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's but, like, think about like the light bulb or whatever. It's like, you know, one motherfucker invents it. Another motherfucker says he invented it. It's like, did they maybe independently come up with it? No, nah, someone <laughs> did it first, you know, but... Either way, you're not necessarily biting just because someone, you know, anyway. So, quick, we, will you share, like, one of your uh, low-level hacks? Uh, yeah. Well, the one that I just used before we came here is uh, you take a, a small peanut butter jar or something, and you put a little bit of rubbing alcohol in the bottom, and you put your sponge that you wash dishes with in there. Mm. And you know how sponges usually get nasty? Yeah, yeah. At some point, you smell the sponge. You're like, oh, i got to throw that out and start a new one. Yeah. You do this thing with the rubbing alcohol, the bacteria can never build up and grow. You could literally, not because you wanted to because you were feeling frugal or anything, but it's actually better for the environment. These sponges don't do that when you keep them in the jar with a little bit of rubbing alcohol. Oh. So since huh. you asked, that's the most, that's the one that I literally just used in the last hour. You're about to bankrupt the sponge companies, bro. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to like that 3M. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Retmon sponges, you buy it once and it'll last a long time on. Man, they'll steal my idea and make their own little kit. Yeah, they'll be like, yeah, you know, and it'll be sealed at the bottom and it won't, their whole thing will be like, no, you can't recycle any of it, throw it in the garbage. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, but, they'll come out with something saying that it's like uh it's racist or something. <laughs> <laughs> nah, sorry, that's, that's but uh, keep an eye out for my hacks, bro. When they're coming, all right, all right. got some good ones coming for the world. Yeah, yeah. Word. So, yo, talk a little bit about because you do a lot of online, like you know, you you're a eBay dealer. Is that what it is, or like what's your kind of? Been on eBay since '99, I believe. Yep. So, what's your uh, process? You just surfing, looking for gems. You know what people are out for, or what? Well. To be honest with you, that was mostly mostly based on thrifting, okay. which uh, is so popular now. But uh, I was pretty much one of the only ones really doing that yeah, in yeah. the early times of eBay for myself. So, like, while there were other people buying stuff at the thrift stores, I don't think a lot of them had the eBay thing going. Yeah, they weren't flipping it. Well, I feel like you told me one time, you're like, I buy shit that I'd be happy to keep. Right? Like, a lot of the stuff you buy, you're like, sure, I'd flip it, but, like, you buy cool shit. Like, you you think it's cool, right? Am I missing that or what? 
I could see how I would have said that back in the day. I could be completely man- making this shit up. Too. No, no, I could, no, no, you're right. I could totally see how I would have said that, especially if that had to do with, say, stuff like clothing maybe or something back in the day. But it's a whole different ball game now. It's so few and far between the stuff that you can find to flip that you pretty much got to take what you can get. Yeah, yeah. So what are the, uh, what are the hot tickets these days? Well, areas of expertise for myself are still media, so CD, cassette, vinyl. Yeah. But uh, all the collectibles that you know that I dealt with, Mm -hmm. from action figures from the past right to the present. But uh, sports cards is a thing that I do a lot of lately. I get so bummed. I had all these sports cards, and I've been camping on them for ever. And I'm like, yo, this shit is worth cheddar. And I bring it into fucking homie and Winooski. I'm like... Damn, like, how much will you give me? He's like, bro, that's worth, like, 75 cents. You could save it. I'm like, what? It's 30 years old, though. He's like, yeah. he's like nobody wants that shit. It's kind of, it's card for card, man. You got to get the fucking gems, huh? Card for card. Yeah. I guess you didn't have any good old Michael Jordans in there. Well, no. No, I didn't. I didn't. My brother probably fucking gambled them away from me. Yeah. So you got, you have siblings, or are you an only child, or what? Yeah, I got my older brother right in town here. So. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but he doesn't come around too much, right? No, he leads a different lifestyle. He's actually a he's a big shot at VIP. If you're familiar with that company, that's a corporation in Colchester that uh, they they uh, are contracted by breweries and distilleries to install computerized monitoring equipment for distillation. Oh, yeah, yeah, Damn. so. He goes all. He has a team, and they fly all over the country and even other countries for a week at a time, and they implement the computer software and hardware. And, right. uh, yeah. No doubt, no doubt. So yeah, let's talk a little bit about Demas. Shout out Demas. Yeah. Shout out Demas, <laughs> yeah. man. He's the he's yeah. the most colorful character I've ever met in my life, yeah. and I've known him since he was. Uh, in eighth grade. Yeah, I was going to say, y'all were always two peas in a pod. That was for damn Now, I do have like four and a half years on him, so I never went into, it was never at the same school as him. Uh, Jay Damaris, his older brother, was in my class, class of 1991. So he's someone that I could relate to more day to day. But basically how it goes is Patty, Chris Patterson, befriended Demas, and those two were like, Laurel and Hardy. So I got to know Demas really well from that. And uh, the connection lasted. It bridged from Colchester to Burlington. And uh, some of the greatest moments of my life were watching Demas learn how to spin reggae. Yeah, yeah. Well, with me and Patty standing with our arms folded, checking it out. And uh, just watching that kid escalate and just become the best. You know? Yeah. Jamaican. I can't tell you how many times I've heard Jamaicans see that kid spin and be like, man, wickedest selector ever. Yeah, I feel like there's, like, this crazy presence for, like, reggae and dancehall uh, DJs here. At least there was in there like, the was. 90s. And, yeah, kind of feel like a lot of people kind of moved on, families and whatnot. But, like, it Boy, was... Boy, they did, and I thought it was pretty much... T- well, you know, Big Dog will always be holding it down. Yeah, yeah. And, and I would mention there's a couple other guys, too, like... Uh, yeah, but those guys weren't here the whole time. Yeah. Whereas, like, Big Dog and CeeLo started from yeah right in the area. Yeah, we got Earth. Big Dog coming on uh, in a little bit here. But, uh, 
Big Dog's a wicked selector. Yeah. But uh, Demas has something that no one else has, frankly. And uh, he's a performer. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. He knows how to light up a crowd. Yeah. Yeah. Like he'll literally just hold the record as he grabs the plant there and just starts whatever, and then somehow it stays on beat. Yeah, he's a fucking maniac. Oh, I could, I could, I could tell a hundred stories. The kid was just a genius. Like they'd be spinning at Reuben James, you know, and a huge fight would break out, and he would have the wherewithal to dig in real quick and pull out. Bob Marley, one love. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then the guys feel like fools trying to fight yeah. with the, the, you know, yeah, <laughs> with like, one love plans. Then do you grab the mic and be like, this isn't Warrington, it's Burlington. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. such a genius. So thing. like RJ's was like, maybe it's just because we're getting older, but I feel like back then it was like a different vibe, right? It was like not well, as like, College jockey. I will say, you got to give all that props to Iceman because he was the one that would go down and set these things up and be like, yo, you guys want to have a cool reggae night at RJ's, Jay? Yeah. And he'd talk to Jay Atkins and the manager, bartender Matt, and he'd be like, yo, I know you guys might be skeptical. Just give us three weeks and we will turn this thing into the hottest thing in town. Yeah, it definitely and was. And it happened, you know? Yeah. And they did that for like... Ten. More. Yeah. I think it was 12 straight years or something. Uh, oh, boy. The things I've seen down there. Yeah, yeah. You know, they didn't used to enforce capacity back then. That place would be full of the hottest gal, and every dude in town that knew anything about dance already would be in there just, yeah, 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 yeah. Some of the loudest, wildest stuff I've ever seen in a club down, right down there at RJ's for that whole stretch. And uh, when I moved to Red Square, I kind of took a back seat from that, you know what I mean? Because RJ's was my home, where I also used to DJ a little bit. Yeah. Uh, You remember Tim Diaz? Tim White? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was Demas' hip-hop partner. Yeah, because so yeah, they would go back and they would Those do... guys were a team. And, you know, Diaz could spin some reggae too, but he didn't have the Arsenal collection the way yeah. that Demas and the boys did. So, so what's up with... Um, uh, like... You know, uh, I just wanted to say Niceness was an awesome DJ, but he didn't do the microphone work. Yeah. And the same with Chris Patterson. Awesome DJ, but and he refused. Fitzy would touch up the mic, but Patty was like, I will never say a word into that microphone. And that when you're spinning reggae, that makes a huge difference because the selector has to be able to use the mic, too. Yeah, well, that's on. And that's basically something. that's what separated Demas. Yeah, is. I was just gonna say that's something. Demas was the whole package like that, or is, you know. And we had guys come through that went to UVM or maybe moved up from New York, like uh, Gabe GT Gabe Tesoriero. He came up from New York City and he was really good on the mic and he was really good DJing, but he uh, he was just passing through. And sure enough, he left. But a couple other guys that went to UVM for their three years while they were here did a lot with with reggae but i also want to big up the chancellor which is Amon. oh yeah now, he is a wicked dj that can touch oh, up the yeah. mic too I forgot about and him. uh again he was never on our actual team but he could have been if he had wanted to through that whole stretch all that rhythm talk <laughs> you know what i mean it's good to hear from you uh, means you don't want to um Let's just leave this here for now. Oh, salute, salute. So yeah, we don't have to get too much uh, 
about the big dog, his story, because he's going to be on the show, but obviously you guys are fucking tight, too. So, like, talk a little bit about him just, like, carrying on the fucking tradition, because he's kind of, like, one of the only heads that's, like, really doing reggae around here these days, right? Like, I would definitely say that he's the, the last man standing and the best man standing. But uh, I will say this, though. I went to a holiday party at Manhattan Pizza over Christmas time. And uh, Chang, Gold Chang, Not sure. he was killing it. He did a killer dance hall set with Ben B. You know these guys, right? I'm not sure. I'm so out of touch with it. I don't even think those guys are using those names right now Wait, the DJ, but... Is is Chang the homie whose family owns the, uh, he's the bistro? He's the tailor. He does all kinds of stitching and stuff huh. as well. I don't know. Well, we're going to have to, uh, to we're gonna have to nail that down a little yeah, bit me, better. But uh, Gold me. Chang is what I knew him as when he was DJing uh, all kinds of, like, disco at house and stuff. But, man, those guys blew my mind. They put on a sick dance hall set. So, at Manhattan. That's that's what I got to say about that is there is a couple dudes in town that know how to crush it big time. Right. So that's good, man. That's all I wanted to see. I was so into it. It was so great to see. It's funny because Big Dog spun that gig too before them, but he did a uh, classic R&B and hip hop set, which right. was also incredible. Right. But uh, he was he didn't know those guys were doing a dance hall set either. So we were all just like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, so obviously you remember like L burners when that was when that was up there and everything. Yeah, I, I figured I thought we were gonna go in that direction when you were bringing up Big Dog. Yeah, yeah. so but that, CeeLo and Big Dog were a partnership. Yeah, and uh, but that didn't quite overlap with Flex, did it? Oh yeah, it did. Because those guys for a little bit. Oh yeah, those guys bought because it was the cause. CeeLo CeeLo was also a very good reggae DJ. Yeah, but uh, most of his gigs were based on hip-hop. Okay, I guess... But it, that kid could spin reggae, too. I guess now I am remembering, because you had, like, the Cause, Flex, and L Burners for a little while. We're all up there at the same time. That's right. That was the, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah you <laughs> just go up the hall there. And yeah. Who knows what you might get into. Yeah. Yeah. As long as... The best of the days were when Josh Cause was in a good mood. Because there were some days when that dude would just be, like, not having us. <laughs> Yeah, but like if you know Cause, you're like, yeah, it's just he's just having the day. I, I want to say L Burners was started by Benny Lawrence, yeah, Benny yeah. L. Yeah, yeah. And that was really important. Him and his older brother Maddie Lawrence, yeah, mayor of the skate park. Yeah, Maddie's coming on. Matt Lock Matt skates. Lock skates. Now that dude, those are the two most important. That's the most important set of two brothers that Burlington ever had in my experience. Damn, that's a heavy Matty thing. L was a huge influence on the entire skateboarding and DJing community. Well, Matty L's still skating. He's still down oh, there. Oh, I know. That's what day. I'm saying. I'm I trying judged to... a contest with him fucking two weeks ago. That's basically talent. what I'm getting at. Is, uh, <laughs> this kid has been in the mix for a long time. Yeah, and yeah. Like, he, me and my buddies, like Devil Dan Custer at from Colchester and uh, Patty actually lived in Burlington and had met Maddie. He lived next door to the Lawrence's before he came out to Colchester. Okay. So uh, Patty, Devil Dan and myself, we were influenced by Maddie Lawrence to a massive degree in every way. The way he skated, the way he DJed, the way that he knew about punk rock music and then everything that came out of his mouth 
He's hilarious. Oh, so much flavor. <laughs> he's fucking so, hilarious. Yeah. He's, a, he's a humble dude. Yeah, that's and what I was just about. if he sees me saying this right here, he's going to be like, shut up, yeah. man. Well, that's what I was just about to say, too. It's like, it's it's like a once in a generation or whatever. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, people who are just got that swag, but like, don't flex like they got it. They just got it. You know what I mean? Not, it was uh, completely effortless, I will say. Yeah, yeah, Now, to add the other flip side of that. I never thought I would be hanging out with Maddie L's little brother. Because, yeah, you know, this is the kind of dude where he was just a young kid when we would be over at Maddie's, you know. And Maddie would be like, get out of here. Go do something else. Yeah, yeah. But he was still cool with him. But, you know, he was like, yeah, well, hey, out with brother shit. That's what happens. So, but, you know, what happens? Benny turns into this awesome dude. Sick hip-hop DJ. Starts L Burners. Artist. Yeah. Starts L Burners. So he's got the hip-hop shop in there. And like you said, that was a, that was some golden times up there with those three stores oh. and a little speakeasy oh, I, bar. I, I'm gonna have to. I don't too. know the last time you came to check my uh, collection, but I, one thing I've never got rid of are my records. Like I have kept all my records I've been collecting since '93. Nice. I've never ever got rid of. Actually, any that I've gotten rid of, I've gifted if someone was like, "Oh damn," because I love like people know how special that shit is to me. So I'll be like. You know, I'm gonna break you off, you know, and, and only the real motherfuckers, right? But anyway, it's I, funny though because in a way, if it's your homie that has that record, it's pretty much still yeah, in your yeah, realm. Yeah. Well, come on, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I. But so you must have still ones with the flex record sticker oh, yeah. on. Yeah, a thousand percent. I mean, a lot of them don't have the sleeves anymore because when I used to sell weed, I'd run out of baggies and I'd put the fucking. <laughs> Yo, so, so big dog. He'll once in a while I'll get a text of a flex record sticker. They had the date on him, so he'll text me when he f- has one out that's today's date. So, oh, like, if today's okay. February 3rd, yeah, yeah, like he might f- text me one that says 2-3-1998 on it. <laughs> it doesn't say anything, because I already know what it means, yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> I love but it. Yeah, I still have all that Alberta shit I bought, all, you know, flex shit, all that. Yep. And then you were talking about, you know, me digging around for stuff for eBay. Yeah. It was one of those things where I would be looking through records at like Recycled Orth and find one with the Flex tag on it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I actually found a copy of one of my skate videos there one time and I was like half hyped and half offended. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, I mean. Well, like, you know, people do pass away. Yes, or, you know, someone had watched it enough or whatever. It's all good, you know. And I also got to mention that A Dog was also the kind of cat that would keep a little selection of dance hall seven inches. And he knew how to drop those, too. Oh, yeah, that yeah. would be a pretty small part of his repertoire. But it, one of my favorite things was when a dog would kind of flex and be like, right, man, you know what to do. I need I need about five, seven inches, yeah. you know, some new fire. And I would run, run them down for him, and he would pick out the five that he knew were the best. Yeah. Love that. Love that. Yeah, he always had an eclectic taste. Like, primarily he would rock, like, hip-hop and R&B, but he definitely would mix in some soul, some fucking reggae, you know, whatever. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, cheers to Wizzle, bro. I mean, I'm sure that... I'm sure A-Dog did a couple longer dance hall sets in his day. Yeah, oh, for sure. I couldn't be at everyone's gigs all the time. Yeah, yeah. Inevitably. I don't know if you know, but I didn't go out as much as people probably would have expected me to. Yeah, yeah. Part of the reason was because I had to be at the shop every day at noon. But, uh, so I wasn't exactly at every Bashment Tuesday or every A-Dog Thursday or every Big Dog Monday, Tuesday. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I apologize. Well, you were there in spirit. You were there in spirit. <laughs> but back to the Benny L thing. So he, he had L-Burners and... 
one of the craziest things is when he got tired of it, he just handed the key yeah, to Big yeah, Dog yeah. and CeeLo and said, it's all yours. I actually was hanging with Big Dog. Like, <laughs> I've like, never seen anything like, like, like it. I want to claim I was within, like, the day he kind of, like, agreed, or if not, he told me, like, right off. And I was like, oh, so what's up? You guys, like, work something out? He's like, no, nah, he just was over it. He just, like, gave it to me. <laughs> <laughs> so like, crazy. That is so deep. <laughs> yeah, straight up. So it was so awesome when uh when Big Gong and CeeLo had it. It was a lot more fun because uh they hung out there a lot more. Yeah, ben, and Benny we had ciphers and you know Benny L had other stuff to juggle. Yeah. But those guys were able to make it like you know, they would go to school and then whatever. I used to middle people on like records there and shit. Like people would come in, like some of them didn't have a price on it and I knew how much they were. So, oh, nice. so it would be nice. like 10, 11 bucks. I'd be like, yeah, 15. <laughs> like a big dog. I'm like, I got four credit. <laughs> Straight up. I know you remember that. That's uh, funny because, uh, yeah, Benny L2 would have me sometimes be like, you want to watch the shop for a couple hours? You know, so I'd sell a couple rackets for him in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit because you've worked with Ollie over, over the years, Oliver. Um fucking alibabas right and like you know that's shout out motherfucking oliver you know what i mean nice. and uh yeah just talk a little bit about because you did you ever travel or were you always the home home base guy for the work with him well i'll be honest with you it's not really a part of my life i've really ever romanticized very much <laughs> right, it's, it's kind enough. of just a kitchen job right, not, if you want to talk about what a great dude he is well that's more so what i'm saying just because like it's all connected, right? Because you got like Alibaba's right there, RJ's, Flex's right upstairs. <laughs> all right, I'll just give you a couple of quick stories. Eh? Yeah, yeah. So like, he he opened Alibaba's about six months before Flex, and uh, when we showed up, he he told me later he was like, "What is all these little scallywags coming down here?" And Demas and Diaz would be smoking their darts and everything, and he'd be like, "What are these guys doing in front of my shop with their cigarettes, playing this music?" <laughs> but it wasn't long before we were all crew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny because you've like held down that block for a fucking sense, 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 sense. <laughs> I mean, like, you, yeah, that's funny because that probably seems weird to some people. But man, if you're in New York City, that's like common. Yeah, you know what I mean. I don't think it's weird. I don't think it's, it's weird. It's weird in Burlington. I know it is because people be like, "What's up, man? How can you live in that same apartment for twenty five years?" It's like, "Yo, man, what about a big fat mind your business?" <laughs> <laughs> like, don't worry about me. You but do the first thing is they're usually like happy to see that I'm still holding it down, you know? Yeah, yeah. But then they'll be like, "Man, you've never left. How can that be?" I'm just like, "Man, it's, it's the whole world's kind of like that, yeah. man. You don't just everyone doesn't just get to." Wherever, wherever, you, wherever you go there you are I mean I mean you could go be a fucking regular ass motherfucker in 30 places or, or you could be potent as shit in fucking one or two places let me know? just say too in case there's anyone that's like whoa we don't even know what the hell he's talking about we're talking about the corner of church in Maine yeah living above Manhattan pizza but being on that block with the flex records RJ's Alibaba's etc yeah. it's like the most convenient place in the world you could live and there's been several times when I thought about leaving and then I was just like where I am I where I'm am I gonna, gonna go well yeah. no more like I'm just gonna keep coming back downtown why leave it's yeah. like and then I've had other friends that left Burlington and try to move to like SB or Essex and then they just keep coming into Burlington every day again and they're like why did I move out of Burlington if I'm just gonna keep coming back in every day Yeah. and for me it's even more specific it's like why would I leave that apartment I got the post office here city market here Kinko's here 
You know what I mean? It's like wherever I go, I gotta keep coming back to all these places. Every you've day. seen it's the like, most the attractive women in the history of growing. <laughs> I was I was working with T Dubs, which is Taylor Whipple. Yeah, yeah, shout and, out uh, Taylor. Nasty, I was working nasty drummer. I was yeah. Oh, you got that right. Professional. Yeah. I was working with him at Alibaba's one day, and as we often did, he's like, Red Man, Red Man, he slapped me on the shoulder. He's like, Check out the blonde, check out the blonde. You know, I'm cutting up some veggie or something, and I don't look up, and, and Whipple's like, Oh, Red Man, you just missed the hottest blonde, that, you know, blah, blah, blah. I never even look up. I go, Whipple, I've seen decades of them. <laughs> decades of them. And then he's like, Jaw kind of drops. He's like, Decades. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm only decades old. It's hilarious. It'd been even funnier if you just, like, didn't look up, but you're like, oh, Stacy, Or whatever, you know, you just already knew. But yeah, Me and Whipple got along right from the start, because he rolled in at Alibaba's with dreadlocks, all dirtied up from working on the Alibaba's road crew. And I had gotten wind from our other friend, Sam, Sam Millet, great dude right there, that, uh, that Whipple had just done this amazing thing where he worked like 48 straight hours oh, yeah, for like Bonnaroo the festival. or some shit, yeah. So I heard about that. I never met the kid. And then he comes rolling in to Alibaba's and he's like, hey, I'm Taylor. I'm like, oh, you're Taylor, huh? Uncle Ratman. I was like, I heard about what you did last weekend. I go, legendary, bro. Legendary. <laughs> and so, like, that was one of his things because that was the exact moment we met. And so sometimes me and him would be sitting around having a beer, maybe a smoke, and he would just look up and go, Red Man, legendary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck with Taylor Hard. Yeah, Good kid. Yeah, that's the homie. Mm. You know how you get that little New Hampshire faction sometimes? Yeah. I mean, Rolling over? I mean, That's what him and Sam are. I mean, New yeah, Hampshire technically, cats. I'm kind of that. Like, I mean, I've been here fucking for ages, but uh, initially, like, I spent eight of my first ten years in Nashua, New Hampshire, you know? Nashua, New Hampshire? No yeah. kidding. You ever heard of Bishop Gert in high school? Of course. I to, so I went to Celtics camp. I went to Boston Celtics basketball camp at Bishop Gerton. No kidding, because yeah. my father used to bring me and my older brother to... Uh, baseball car conventions at Bishop Girton yeah. High School. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a Catholic high school. It's pretty cool. If you go to Nashua High, you went to Bishop Girton. Anytime it's I like meet rice. someone from it's like rice. Anytime I meet someone from Nashua, I drop that, and they're always just like, oh, you know what's up. Yeah. So, like, that includes uh, I go to the baseball card store in the University Mall, and uh, the owner, Jim, casually mentions one day that he's in New Hampshire. Yeah. No one, dude. And I asked him, like, oh, Bishop Gurren High School. I used to go to the card shows. He's like, oh, yeah? He's like, well, I was at all those card shows, so I must have seen you there as a little kid running around. Yeah. And I'd be like, yeah, you remember those hot dogs that snapped? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I will say, like, I was so young to, like, not realize it, but um, Nashville's a shithole. <laughs> like, really, I mean, there's some nice parts, but, like, it's kind of mm -hmm. grimy. Like, it's, it's pretty grimy. Like, because, you know, it's essentially like a Boston suburb. Well, just being a little kid, I wouldn't have known what to be looking for for that. And I'm sure if you only went to that place and left, you wouldn't have seen anything too bad, right? Yeah, I ended up, so I don't know if you remember Neek, rest in peace, but homie who, uh, he was a graph writer, but he is also from Nashua, and he was in my first grade class, and I didn't see him for 20 fucking years. And then he came here? Yeah, it was at a party in my basement with Chili. And I see this dude just grilling me from across my basement. I'm like, oh, damn, I got But you sort of feel like you recognize him. I don't know. I thought maybe we were about to fight. Like, I wasn't quite, I wasn't quite <laughs> sure what was going to happen, right? So I went over. Like, it was my house, you know? So I went over. I was like, what's up? He goes, you Trav Card? I'm like, yeah, what's up? He's like, 
you live in Nashville? You went to Mount Blue, whatever, and started listing off schools and shit? I was like, oh, he's like, I'm fucking Dave. Anyway, I was like, holy shit. I love that. Man. Yeah, it was fucking sick. Because you don't really have that from New York side. You know what I mean? You don't really have that from Canada. You don't have that from Massachusetts. But the New Hampshire thing yeah. just somehow happens. Yeah, New Hampshire. I think Mass a little bit. Although, I will say people, a lot of people in Mass, like... Well, that's pretty. Aren't very friendly. Like, we were on the fucking tee, right? We're, jo- we're on the tee, a bunch of us talk- chopping up with strangers. Hey, what's up? What do you do? And the only guy who we weren't talking to, I go, hey, what do you do? He goes, I'm on my own fucking business. <laughs> I go, all right, we're done. <laughs> yeah. See, that ain't no good. Well, no, nah, but uh, that's what I did. <laughs> you don't look like anyone I wanted to tussle with. But, uh, fucking A-Rat, man. Well, so- that again, Massachusetts is about three hours. It's not like just coming over from New Hampshire. A little different story there. Yeah, yeah. Man, I just want to apologize if we left out any of the sick DJs that deserve to get mentioned. Well, yeah, we can't can't we hit them all up, man. Can't hit them all up. Obviously, create. You guys all know who you are, man, if it comes down to that. Yeah, yeah. I was just about to say, uh, so I was on the committee with Justin Bowen did the Hip Hop Awards or whatever, and Milo Grant ended up um, winning the A-Dog, like, Good Citizen Award or whatever, which I thought was dope, because she's been around for a grip. Yeah, and she's definitely a good citizen. Yeah, yeah, she's been around for a grip, you know, so. One of my greatest compliments I ever got DJing was from Milo Grant. Uh-huh. I was DJing with A-Dog at Iceman's Bob Marley Birthday Bash. Which was in, you remember the basement underneath what is now Drink? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Mesa used to manage that. For place. a little while, there was some <laughs> sick underground parties down there, man. And Iceman threw this one incredible Bob Marley Day bash. And uh, me and A Dog split a set because well, it was supposed to be one of us and then one of us. But since we were homies, we were like, yo, man, you want to you do some one for one, three for threes? That's that. And. It was one of the smoothest nights for both of us, but I was spinning R&B that night. This is when the 90s R&B was big. Yeah. And most of them have little parts from Raekwon and and stuff. Mm. And I was spinning that stuff, and Milo was right there in front, and uh, she, Iceman said that she went up to him later and said, I had no idea your business partner, the extract kid, was so smooth on the wheels. She was like, that was butter. Because you keep a low pro. And for me, that was a huge compliment because I had been listening to her radio show of course, yeah. for a long time. And uh, I just wanted to mention that since you mentioned her. Yeah, yeah. Big up, Milo. Cultural bunker. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Speaking of ice, I remember like old needs. Like, you know, they had the one pool table and the duff hour, there'd just be the longest line to play pool and it'd just be ice man just fucking mopping everybody. You wow. Know? It's like, it's like, show up, put your dollar in, you're gonna get mopped, but you know, and then years later, like, started getting a little better and. You know, every once in a while I could get him on one, but he always had the illest steez when he played pool, like never hit it too hard, always just chilling. He was ah. like Jesus walking around the pool table. So yeah. you know Iceman was, is a carpenter. Yeah. That yeah. must have something to do yeah. with it. You yeah, know what course. I mean? But, yeah. That's pretty cool. So he's still in the tournaments. Well, I don't know if he was still doing league, but a few years ago we were playing quite a bit together. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and obviously, you know, he's speaking of humble, like, it's just, he's never going to tell you how cool he is, but he is, <laughs> you know what I mean? He was the, uh, he was the one we all looked up to, me, Demas, Patty, and Niceness, and uh, Gabe, GT, that guy, Gabe, yeah. and then also the uh, Hooli and Matt Smith, which was the uh, 
some of the other UVM guys that came up. Yeah. We looked up to Iceman more than anyone would ever know. Who was the other homie that used to DJ with niceness? It was, was his name Eric, maybe, or something? No, Eric is Eric Fitzgerald himself. I don't know who huh. the other Eric would be. Uh, the years have passed. Niceness was a good DJ. Yeah. Great DJ. Yeah, absolutely. He still has his record collection, I heard. So let's say I'm trying to come up and make some ducats on eBay. And I'm like, Uncle Ratman, yo, I got a couple stacks. What am I, what am I buying? What, how am I flipping? What am I doing? I mean, I guess you maybe don't want to share it too much for people because you got to stay in business. But what's like a little hint you could kind of push? Well, you basically just got to know how to, uh, to look stuff up and make sure that it's viable so you don't end up buying any inventory that you're going to go to sell and there's already going to be a hundred of them. So on you're it. doing a lot of research on like current. Uh, it doesn't take long because like I said, you're basically looking at something and considering whether or not to, to make a move with it. You could pretty much these days just quickly look it up on your phone. Yeah. Are you ever seeing people uh, seeking out shit and then you go and find it to flip it to them? That type of thing. <clears throat> Let's see here. I mean, someone posts like, yo, I really need this. Job, da, da. And you're like, ooh, I might have a, you know. Nah, the only thing I can even think of that would be close to that is Craigslist wanted ads. Right. Because everyone can kind of seek it out. That's kind of what what I'm curious about. Like, why can't people just grab it up themselves? Because you just snatch it first type shit or what? <clears throat> well, I will say it's a pretty small uh, segment of the population that is interested in spending time doing that kind of thing. Yeah. That's why so often you'll find people being like, hey, do you want to sell some of this stuff for me, Ratman? Because they, and I'll be like, do you know how easy it is to start an eBay account and sell this stuff yourself? And the person will be like, man, you know I have a wife and kid and work 40 hours a week. It's like the last thing in the world I want to do is try to become a And you got it dialed in, so. And you, you know, it's hard because it seems easy after you've been doing it for a long time, but it isn't something that someone else wants to put too much thought and effort into if they're not already versed in it yeah and you know that's pretty much goes for the same as like there's people that like to eat but don't want to learn to be a cook uh-huh. there's people that love football but don't want to go out on the gridiron and break a leg etc etc it's kind of like why i became a filmer <laughs> <laughs> nah, i could still skate maybe um i did kickflip the other day well we all knew you as a skater before you were the filmer that's true that's true but, uh, you know, someone had to fucking document this shit, you know? Um, so, yeah, what, what are you thinking? We're going to throw some uh, flex reunion throwback jams or something here coming up? What can we do here? What can we do? Boy, I don't know. It's all pretty uh, spread out now. Yeah. You got Demas over in, where is he, Japan or something? Well, Demas was doing his thing in China for China. a while. China, oh. sorry, I didn't mean anything offensive about that. Boy, Demas, man, he did some wicked gigs in Japan. He told me all about, oh, envy, such envy. I've never been to Japan. Oh, go out there. I'm half Japanese. Yeah, go out and there. And I've never been. You need to go see him. Boy, if Demis I was ever... and Uncle Ratman do Japan? <laughs> Yo, straight up. Tell me that is not a hit fucking television Demis show right there. He did gigs in Jamaica, and the Jamaicans loved him. 
He's been he's sound clashed in Jamaica. You yeah. know what a sound clash is all yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's battling, clashed battling in with records and like so that's actually one thing I wanted to kinda of talk about. So in, when you're doing a sound clash or whatever, so people get shout outs from artists, right? Like they'd be like, Big up Uncle Ratman, you might have like Anthony B give you a uh, a dub plate or something, right? Okay, well uh, sh- there's drops where you just put the <laughs> Recorder in front of the guy, and he's like, "Yo, listen to Big Dog on WRUV and check him out." You know, this is every Thursday yeah. night at neckties. If you know what I'll do, see, yeah. that's a drop. A dub plate is when you actually shell out some cash, and the dude does a specialized track over the record that you ask him to do it on, and gives you shouts. Records it, yeah, yeah. Basically, talks about you through the whole thing, and then gets that recording to you and then you use it and DJ with it. So a professional Jamaican sound system will often play nothing but these dub plates, which are the specialized recordings. So, uh, like, as far as I know, Jocelyn has the largest collection of dub plates in Vermont in the history of anyone up here. Just mad motherfuckers shouting them out. Flex Records had one dub plate made. Who was it? <laughs> it was this reggae legend called John Wayne. And yeah. uh, it, his big hit was Call the Police for Me. So uh, somewhere out there, there's a, our dub plate. And he says, it's Call the Flex Tone for Me. <laughs> so we had one. Right. Demas has a bunch of dub plates. And uh, Demas, would, uh, the stories about that. I would only want to tell the stories that involve John Demas because you could talk about any Jamaican sound system. But Demas went down and was clashing in Jamaica. And uh, he went down there and was going to clash this buddy of his, Chip, DJ Chip. And uh, Demas was lamping down there, get you know, knowing that this clash was coming up a couple days. And uh, some understudy, little underling type dude, comes up to John Demas and is like, yo, you know... That DJ Chip, man, he just got a bunch of dub plate made against you, man. And right in the dub plate, them talk about you and how you're going down and Chip going to kill Demas tonight. And Demas was like, so he called all all his contacts and got everything together and got some sick dub plates made. Like, you know. He was like, hold, he was like, next, hold my beer. Next to afternoons. And so he clashed this chip guy, and it was one for one. And yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, instead it. of him getting rubbed out, he had got the inside info. Oh, and I, knew he had to make I love some that shit. Plans. It reminds me of my battle rap days. <laughs> Still undefeated. Anyone can get it. Bring it. Um, well, uh, and I by anyone, st- I mean anyone can get it. I will tell you, since the topics come up, man, uh, the last time the uh, the last time I messed with Demas in a little clash, I whooped him pretty good. With records down or? at him in Big Dog's apartment on Church Street. There, oh. uh, Demas was getting a little bossy one day, and he's like, "You want to go, Red Man?" And I said, "All right, Demas, I'll clash you right now, right here in front in of Big commune? Dog in the commune right there." And I said. All I got for records is your sale pile. And there's this mm. box of crap records in the corner, Yeah, right? this is a flex, pun intended. <laughs> Straight up. So, like, I whopped him with his his discard pile that day. He knew it, and he admitted it right there. <laughs> the Big Dog was there, but he didn't catch how important it was. A couple years ago, I was like, yo, Big Dog, 
you remember that I crushed Demas in a sound clash with you sitting there. And he was like, yeah, I remember, but I didn't think you guys were serious. And I was like, oh, no, that was real, man. I was like, that was real. Yeah, Matt's not someone to, like, really insert himself into that type of shit, I feel like. You know what I mean? He's like, he's like I mean, come on, chill. <laughs> so that was the last time I clashed or even, you know, mess around with anything like What's that. The, but uh, now if you want to clash... If you want to clash me, you got to clash Demas first. Oh, uh, all right. Oh, That's I, the way it works. Ooh, ooh, ooh. There's, yeah, levels to this shit. Yeah, right? if someone comes to me and says, I'll clash you old red man. Yeah. I'm like, okay, first you got to go beat little, Demas. Check the little homie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you ain't going to get through Demas, Check bro. the little homie. You, they ain't going to get through Demas. That's fucking hilarious. One day I was at uh, the Woo, right? And I've been skating with Burroughs. Sitting down, drinking like a cider, probably smoking a cig at the time, whatever. And these little shit show up, and he goes, "Oh, you just came here to like smoke and drink." I go, "What'd you say, you little shit? Like, huh?" He goes, "What do you want to play skate?" No, oh, he doesn't know. Now, now this kid's probably like he's a better skater than me, but it's like little brother shit. Like, there's no way in hell I'm losing to this kid. You know what I mean? So he's like, "Okay, rock paper scissors." I go, "I'm going first. Just fucking mopped him five in a row. Front heel, fucking double foot, whatever. Just mopped him. I sat down. I didn't even want to have another cigarette. I lit it. I go, yeah, keep practicing, you little shit. <laughs> you know, you're like, fuck God, dude. Nice. Yo, and that's what I think has changed. If I'm going to say one major thing, like, I would have never in a million years came up to, like, you or Wizzle or, you know what I mean, the OGs with anything but the utmost respect you know what i mean like i wouldn't have even thought like sure we might poke at each other a little bit but i would have never came out of pocket like that the way these little shits do these days yeah well i mean there must be some element to it where uh it was the beer and the cigarette that was he was really talking at not you you know well he could save it i own that place <laughs> fuck out of here <laughs> You know what I mean? Well, you showed him what's up, man. I, I absolutely did. And you know what? I actually kind of like the little motherfucker, but... I've, I've seen you kill a hundred people at skate. Uh, yeah, and, uh, you know... I've seen you right. keen and go at it hard. Oh, <laughs> I, I mean, that's my that's my boy, but that's a child's play. Uh, come on, fuck out of here. Show uh, you... What's the nastiest sound class you personally ever witnessed? Because you obviously saw a fucking a bunch through the years. But, like, well, what comes to mind? The most obvious answer is there was a rift in our own team at one point where Nicest and Demas had a professional disagreement. Mm. And that, so what happened was... Uh, I remember this. Demas apparently was uh, getting a little bit too controlling... A certain time when Nicest would put a record on, Demas would be like, "No, man, pull that off. We no one wants to hear that." <laughs> and that you know, you can only take that so many times. Yeah, you it's know? kind of fun. Anyway. So Niceness in the middle of a of a bashment gig at RJ's, he grabbed the microphone and said, "Due to professional reasons, um, I hereby retire, resign from this gig, and I quit, and I'm leaving right now." Yeah, and then it was like a whole thing. So everything went quiet. And Fitzy kind of grabbed his two bags and started walking. And you remember what I was saying earlier about Demas always seemed to know what to do and when to do it? Yeah. He just grabbed that goddamn mic and he goes, Bashment people, are we going to let niceness ruin our fun tonight at Bashment Tuesday in Burlington, Vermont? <laughs> and it, everyone had been completely quiet and meek, yeah. but it only took six seconds for everyone to just rise. <laughs> and they're like, no! 
so glad. So like as Nysus was was exiting the door, the next record came on and everyone was just jumping up and down and I would even say that as much as I was friends with both of those guys at the time, what Demas did at that moment got to me too, and I was one of the people just jumping up. <laughs> so, like, I wasn't going to mention that earlier. I had, it, there, it was on my mind when I was talking about some of Demas's. But did it start being a thing where it was, like, such and such verse? It was, I felt like there Let was... Let me finish. Okay. So that turned into a rift between those guys... And one of the other guys challenged the other to a sound clash. And uh, Iceman was totally into it. And so was everyone, yeah. myself included. Yeah, rising tide lifts all boats. So <laughs> I went to Gordon's stamp engraving and I was looking for, I was going to buy a trophy in Jamaica for the big sound clashes and also in the Caribbean where they have soca clashes. You get a big trophy if you win. So I went to Gordon's and I was trying to pick out a trophy and all they got is like little ballerina or little like dude on a horse. You know what I mean? And obviously dudes with baseball bats and footballs and I'm looking and I'm looking and Finally, on the end, I see one of this dude with a bowler hat and a briefcase. And I'm like, well, who, who would get that trophy? And he goes, oh, that's a sales trophy for, like, if you're the best salesman. And I was like, okay, okay. So give me that one on a nice big orange base. And I want the engraving to say, you know, Sound Clash yeah. champion yeah. presented by x Records. <laughs> so the clash took place at the first higher ground in Winooski. Yes, okay. All right? Now and it's all coming back to me. Everyone yeah. went. Yeah. Now, Demas had a little bit bigger faction, but one thing that Niceness had at that clash was the whole Burton Snowboards extended okay. posse, many of whom, you know, didn't really live in Burlington and didn't know exactly what was going on with, like, say, Demas or whatever. But yeah. they knew Niceness. So he had a little contingent of of the uh, of some rowdies there. So it wasn't like he got mopped up by Demas, but yeah. uh, Demas did win that clash, and he was presented that trophy. <laughs> so if you want to talk about that, that would probably have to be the one that because they were good friends. And mind you, these two grew up next door to each other on the border of Milton. Yeah, but they, that's that's the real shit, though. They right knew there. each other since they were five, six years old. Yeah. And we're friends the whole time and are friends to this day. But for that one summer, they weren't getting along and they went at it. But that's how reggae <laughs> DJs handle it. You ain't cutting Yeah, nobody. it's not like they were ever going to slap each other. Or yeah, yeah. Like Hell yeah. Thank you for sharing that story. That's actually fucking amazing. That's a classic Burlington reggae story right there. No doubt. And uh, a lot of people I definitely remember. Maybe yeah. Sorry, we... We do a, a lot of just interrupting by we. I mean, me. I don't have it. I've been looking for it for fucking. Hard. No, it's pretty interesting. I was I was listening to this thing. This guy was talking about making podcasts. This baseball guy, and uh, he said it takes quite a long time to to go back and edit. I'm a dumbass. Uh, well, right quick while we have your attention, I want to give a big up shout out to Sean Misha, producer. The man behind the scenes here at Golden Hour. So cheers to Sean. You know what I mean? Long time, baby. If y'all haven't liked... No, fuck likes. Just go subscribe if you haven't already. And if you have, thank you. Um, Thanks to all your support. We're actually making a shitload of money off of this show now. So fucking keep it coming. I'm I'm cap. Cap, the kid. I just learned cap. 
I'm, I'm lying. Is what that means, Cap. You know that? I would, I would, without having been as much involved in it myself, I know that the hip hop scene and community, especially among the real heads, wouldn't even be close to what it is if Sean hadn't been part of it this whole oh, time. Oh hell yeah, mischief and sender, bro. And I also want to yeah. big up shape along those lines too. Keith Paul, that's my G right there, source unknown, absolutely. It's like. <laughs> Cats that really know the purity of it, you know what I mean, and never tainted it out. Well, people don't realize that Shape taught A Dog a lot about DJing, like straight up coming up. And I was blessed to be in his presence, although he could be tough to work with. But uh, it was yep. tough love. It was tough love. Since you mentioned that, you know that A Dog's the first twelve hundreds that A Dog ever spun on was was DJ Patty's at me and Patty's apartment, which. We actually lived above RJ's in those days. A dog came in from St. Albans, and uh, he was like, "I love, I love what you guys do," because we were already well into it, DJing and stuff. And uh, he was just there on maybe some skateboard and maybe some herb thing, you know what I mean? But uh, he he was like, "I want to, I want to try and everything." And we were like, "Step on up, man!" And so the first time homie ever got on a pair of professional twelve hundreds was right in front of me, Patty, and Demas, and whoever was hanging out on that day, you know what I mean? Y'all paying attention or what? And then A-Dog, so I used to, for a very short period of time, I used to touch the mic up, dance hall style a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I remember. Wicked the riding out a place, just like chat. And uh, Iceman had this band called Queen City All-Stars uh-huh. that did was a dance hall reggae band, and they played at Toast every week. Yep. And uh, one of those gigs... Iceman's brother Stovey, Stefan Heiss, forced me to get up and grab the mic. And I didn't even want to, but I did it. And I got off a couple good little licks, a couple good verses. Yeah, let's hear another one. <laughs> and that was that, right? But uh, I didn't think anything of it, you know what I mean? And a couple people clapped me on the back and things. But A-Dog, the next time I seen him skating, he was like, yo, X-Rat, he's like, I, I love what you did on the microphone, at, at at Queen City All Stars at Toast a couple weeks ago, and I was like, "Oh, you saw that?" And he's like, "I saw. I loved it." He's like, "That was sick." Yeah. And you know what I mean, dude? How crazy was Toast? It was like, <laughs> yeah, there loved will it. never be a place like Toast again. Toast was awesome, but man, the poor guys never made a penny at that gig. Well, part of the reason is because you could be like fifteen and bring a backpack with like a handle and like be like. <laughs> Smoking cigs at the booth and like drinking your own booze and like it fucking. Was, you know, I guess like, it was just a tough business to really make money at. I just don't think they like really drove a tough ship at all. Like, like I will say this though, if you didn't know that, you wouldn't have ever thought that because Dennis and Justin Wigman's that place was a great club. That all all kinds of well, awesome. Some of gigs. the most ridiculous shows I ever saw there, like Living Legends and Hyro for like fucking. Nine bucks or something like MOP and How about Mastermind. Artifacts organized yes. and a third too. Who uh, artifacts uh, organized? How do the fuck was that? It's something good, something big. I, I want to say De La, but it no, wasn't. No, it wasn't like it was, that. It was a triple pack of uh, right on that same level. Yeah. Organized yeah. artifacts. Speak, and speaking one. of artifacts, rest in peace, Tame One. Yeah, he just passed away. Oh, uh, but uh. Yeah, Toast was a special place. So was Tame One still doing his thing like Sensei or? Uh, not as I'm much. I'm not sure as much. Well, so, Sensei was all So I know like, place. you know, we had uh, Conflict and uh, Nasty on the show a little bit back after uh, they just released their album. Um, 
and El Desense is on a track with Conflict on the album, and he was up here and good, shot good, a music good. video and had Capes doing the graph in the back and all that. So yeah, um, nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm not exactly sure, you know, what uh, what his whole deal was in time. But I so know you were yeah, definitely at that artifact show. Oh, that oh, was man. Oh, that was and they were throwing out those posters that when you rolled them out, it was the subway train. I don't remember that. I, I wanted I one so bad and didn't get one. But, yeah. man, you get a poster at a show like that, it's never coming home all crumpled out. Oh, you know of course. What I mean? of course. <laughs> Leave it in someone's fucking car. It's on the floor. So Iceman, because... Rozelle, that was another one I saw there. Well, Iceman was such good friends with Toast, with the Wigmans, that he's the one that coordinated all the sick reggae shows that happened at Toast that are yeah. landmark shows that... People in Burlington would have never seen these Buju bands yeah, and Super Sizzla. Cat. Luciano Sizzler and Mikey General at one show. Yeah. Capleton. Capleton yeah. Another Luciano show. Yeah. You know what I mean? Another Super Cat show. Yeah. It's like these are shows that you really shouldn't be able to have in Burlington. You know what I mean? These are shows that usually pop off in Montreal, Boston, New York City, in clubs that hold 1,500 rowdy Jamaicans. Yeah, well, they clearly came through because there was like a... Uh, bond and like a connection with ice and with all the homies here you know like they knew there was something special popping well i don't i can't really say for sure without you know asking each one of those artists but uh those guys probably would have only turned down gigs that they were confident were going to be a total flop but because of iceman and this burlington reggae scene those shows were viable and the Jamaicans would tell each other, yo, the place up in Vermont, they call it. Yeah. Vermont, man. You can do a good show in that club in Burlington, yeah, Vermont. Yeah, cool because if know? they're coming from New York or Boston and they go up to Montreal, it's a good, like, you know, on the way type spot. Anthony B, another one, because he played at a reggae fest. In Hardwick. And then after that, he was like, yeah, man, Vermont, big reggae seat, man. Always yeah. after playing Vermont. Do you remember man. seeing me at reggae fest? Like, way in the Now, you that. know how the hell am I supposed to remember well, something like that? Well, fair enough, fair enough. But I remember... Those seeing- were the first music festivals. Yeah. Those were, like, real music festivals. It's unfortunate that, you know, part of the whole thing, even for my crew, was, well... We're definitely going to drink a bunch of beer. Such a that, That's lame, because, like, even even up on the stage, like, Dr. Tuna would be like, this is a conscious event, so please stay conscious. You can drink and be conscious. <laughs> but it's like, man, I'm hanging out with, like, the Champions oh. Punk Rock crew, Maddie Lawrence and the hip-hop and reggae crew on this other side. You can drink <laughs> and be conscious, but it's always like, you know, a couple fucking rotten eggs or whatever. That That's how it goes down, you know? But those reggae fests were legendary, so many good times there. I want to shout out the fact that under the influence of people like Maddie Lawrence, um, we hung out and listened and enjoyed the local punk rock music scene. The Champions was the band that I was a follower of. Huh. I was friends with all those guys. Uh, Simon Brody was the, okay, the head Simon. of the Champions. And he goes on. He was to, in a lot of different bands. Well, no, from there he forms the first most successful emo core band which is Drowning Man Drowning Man yeah but it's the champions that I always remember yeah. slimy for and it was Iceman's little brother Stefan was in the champions okay so like I was really good friends with Iceman's little brother okay I definitely watched Drowning Man numerous times he used to play at Toast 242 all that shit yeah Iceman's little brother Stovey <laughs> knew how to throw up Keg party, man. The 69 man, him and cousin Dave yeah. threw this series of parties down there. Well, it's funny when we were walking in here, you're like, do you think high school kids still do 
Ted parties. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, if they do, they don't do it like we did. Yeah, because rolling up to this very studio, I was like, this neighborhood looks like a high school gag party. Hood, man. <laughs> One that's going to get busted by the cops for sure. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, such good times, man. Well, shit, I'm so happy that you came through, Iceman. You're my fucking... Or, Ratman, fucking A. No, Iceman's uh, here, too. Iceman. Yeah, Iceman, Ratman, all y'all. Fuck. We don't have to edit that out, because, you know, I'm just a human. But, uh, honestly, been trying to make this happen for a sec, and I'm so hyped that you came through. Oh, man. You know? I, I knew that... We'll have to do it again. I, what? Knew, I knew that you could talk some shit, because that's all we do here. If it's you like want trouble, stuff. you get me with a couple of those aforementioned MFers Ooh. around this same little table. Ooh, John Demas. I don't man. even know if you're going to be able to get a word in, I was in about my to man. say, we get Demas in here, we have to have a drone, like, you know, flying around. He ain't sitting still. Yeah, I mean, imagine we go, we go, Demas, here's your seat. You're sitting right here. Yeah, good luck. Yeah, good fucking luck. But uh, anyway, shout out to Flex, and uh, shout out you, motherfucker, because you're a legend, you know what I mean? And uh, Likewise to you, man. Doing this podcast project is, is incredible because I haven't been asked to talk about this type of thing in years. Well, you know, I, it wasn't appropriate. I'm the one who's supposed to ask about it. I mean, aside from <laughs> maybe getting out and seeing someone maybe at a club or something and talking about it for a couple minutes, yeah. but it's usually just the same thing. Oh, you guys did great, and it was awesome, but you can't get into it. And, yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. And, and it's it's tough, too. Like, people will ask me, they're like, have such and such on. I'm like, sure, maybe, like, some point, but, like, really, I have so many potent friends through the years that I have these experiences with, and, like, I want people to learn about what I experienced and like also I learned more you know like I'm sitting here talking to you I've known you for 25 years and learned a handful of things that I didn't know had some things clarified you know so like for me the reason why we're doing this right is to basically be like hey if you're interested in the culture that's popped up here the last you know 20-25 years with the people who I think are dope tune into Golden Hour and if not that's fine too (laughs) Hopefully a couple people that are going to check it out got reminded of a couple small things that they might have forgot about, you know what I mean? Like maybe someone was at one of those gigs that I talked very specifically about. And the other thing is, I don't know if I would be able to delve into it talking to someone else besides you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if I had only known you for a couple years, first of all, you wouldn't have the plethora of knowledge going back. But also, I don't know if I would have felt as comfortable. Yeah, yeah. So it's a lot of it has to do with you, my friend. Well, I'm the facilitator, and it's uh, it's not a job, you know. It's a uh, it's a hang. Like you come hang with us, and I'm bringing people. We're bringing people on the show, podcast, whatever fucking corny term you want to use, to just chop it up, you know. And some people, this isn't your cup of tea, and probably none of y'all, because you would have already clicked off. But thank you all who are still here with us. No way, man. This is some archival business, man. Yeah, like, I'm saying. I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. You know what I mean? But 10 years from now, you guys are still going to have some footage. <laughs> so maybe a couple of them stories could live on. Yes, but please don't get hit by a bus tomorrow. No, I'm always looking both ways. Yeah, word. Twice, yeah. three times, you know what I mean? You're more likely to get hit by a demon fucking swinging a fucking tree or something. Right there. Yeah, and when he watches and finds out that I'm still talking about whipping his butt and oh, that sound clash. Yo, I mean, shit, apparently Big Dog is the proof, so here we go. But yeah, we're probably going to uh, keep talking some shit, but... Just for sake of for sake, uh, this has been a one of a kind guest, Uncle X Rat Retmon Flex Records represent. Thank you so much for coming through. Oh man, my pleasure. Thanks yes, for having me, uh, man. Uh,
Big up. Big up. Big up all Burlington crew. Yes, sir.